want to talk about this fear that makes us hide. And you know, there's a pattern to sort of what we've been doing. In the weeks leading up to Easter, we talked about these, some of these exchanges that Jesus had with people in the Gospels in which he would talk with someone and, and through his you know, words, he would ultimately say to them, don't be afraid or fear not. And we've been, we walked all the way up towards the cross and then we sort of had the Easter moment. And then coming out of Easter, we talked about the thieves on the cross and sort of stepped backwards. And then last week, we, we talked about that first morning, that special Sunday morning, that Easter morning in which the, the angel said to the, to the women who were at the tomb, who were looking for, the, for Jesus, and his, his, they wanted to honor his, in, his, in his death, and they were told, he's not here, he's alive, don't be afraid. And we, we sat with that and, and tried to think about what it means to just move forward in life when, when there's parts of us that are afraid. And now that brings us to this, and in the couple of weeks that we have left, we're gonna be watching Jesus in these, what we call post-resurrection moments in which he engaged people. Specifically, a lot of what we're going to look at in these next couple of weeks is how Jesus did the repair work in his disciples. And we're going to see uh, uh, Jesus talking to his disciples when they're absolutely terrified. And by, by the way, when we open up this uh, little passage here, we'll see that they were actually so scared that they had, they had been hiding. Look at what it says in John 20, verse 19 in the handout or in the scripture. It says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because... They were afraid of the, of the Jewish leaders or the leaders in Jerusalem who had been, been opposing Jesus and had worked in tandem with the Romans to have him put to death. And, and, you know, again, on this very amazing night, it was the first night of something completely new. Uh, what they didn't know is that Jesus was alive. And in their mind, that was the, the farthest thing from the realm of possibility. None of them really understood what had happened, and none of them believed that anything had actually happened at all. I mean, the picture we have of them here, as we, as we see them on that first night, that Sunday night after the Easter moment, um, they, they're hiding out. They're completely terrified and afraid. Uh, their, their doors are locked. Part, the biggest, you know, one of the things we realized is it was good that they had gotten together. And there's certainly a value in coming together when things aren't making sense, not just being isolated and alone. But as good as that was, and we know, by the way, not all of them were there. In fact, one of them was missing. And it's gonna, he's going to have a lot of questions um, about what is happening, what we're going to be looking at. And we're going to talk about the one who was not there next week. But as we look at this moment, we, we realize that none of them had actually believed that anything remarkable had happened with Jesus. In fact, they just were convinced that, that it was, you know, maybe there were some people who were saying some things. There was a rumor. Some rumors had been out that Jesus wasn't dead anymore. Uh, one, some of the women had come back from the tomb and had told them that they, they had seen something like an angel and Jesus was missing and uh, he was alive. And, and then there were others who said they had seen Jesus. And, but the disciples, to them, it just seemed incredible. Uh, they didn't believe it. In fact, there's this very telling verse in Luke 24, 11, And I'll just put it up there real quickly. It says, and there were the words that, that were shared with them by the women who had come from the, the, the garden where the tomb was, that it just seemed to them like, look at the phrase, idle tales, and, and they did not believe them. I mean, that is emphatic. They did not believe them. So there was, there was no, whatever, whatever you think you saw, whatever it is that you think you may have heard, come on. We know you want to believe it, but there's just no way. So in, in their mind, you know, they, they're, it, 
there, it, that, was, that was a rumor from people who were weak and couldn't accept the reality of what they had seen. Because what they had seen was so intensely an ending that there was no, nobody who could cheer them up with these fancy tales of Jesus being alive. That, so that rumor, they just said, we don't believe it. But there was a rumor that they did believe. And the rumor that they believed was pretty much what we would say uh, something that in, in their mind was a, was a, a possible thing. Um, the word was out that they could be next. And that scared them. I mean, part of the reason they're in this room hiding out together is because they're really afraid. There's genuine fear. Here, here look. We talked about this. They had watched Jesus just, I mean, brutally die. And it wasn't, it wasn't just any kind of a death. I mean, it was, a, it was a really humiliating death. It was a shameful death. It was hard to, it was hard to process it. I mean, it was so bad. I mean, it was, it was, it was beyond, it was beyond what they had anticipated could happen in their worst nightmare. I mean, it was a, it was a, an unsavory, bloody thing, and it was so shameful to see him the way that he was, and it was awful. And 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 again, they by the way, they had grown up in Jerusalem in that period, in the Roman period. You know what that meant? They had grown up understanding something that you and I don't really we don't really appreciate it appreciate it because we only can look back on it historically, but the reality of the method of crucifixion was something that was part of their life. And the Romans had borrowed it from, I believe it was the Assyrians, or some would say the Persians. I think it was the Persians. And um, they had, though, perfected it into an extraordinarily effective means of subjugating the populace in absolute fear because it was a very cruel way to die. And they had learned how to exercise this art, if we can call it, of capital punishment with a tremendous amount of effectiveness to get the most out of it so that people were, were aware that it was a long, excruciating death and was humiliating as people were put up onto a, onto a, a, a Roman gibbet, a cross, and just left there, left there to hang uh, in shame. It was, it was terrifying, to be honest. And the disciples were aware of it. They knew that Jesus had, had it happen to him. And the fact of the matter is, the same people who had pushed for the death of Jesus um, had had problems with them. They were his acolytes. They were his followers. They were his disciples. So listen, what I'm saying is they had good reason to believe that it was possible that you know, they were next. There were these moments of confrontation that Jesus had. You read about the, you read them in the Gospels where Jesus is engaging the, the Pharisees and the scribes and he's engaging these, the leaders of Jerusalem and there's tremendous tension there. Uh, his disciples are with him and he's calling them uh, hypocrites and Pharisees. He says, you're like, you're like whited sepulchers. You, you, the only place you can lead people is into a place of more bondage and death. And then Jesus said, if people listen, he turned to the crowds and he said, listen, you do what they say, but don't do what they do. He had humiliated them. He had said things like, you know, your, your, your heart is, is not open to the things of God. And, there, and, and, and there's no question that the disciples had been in agreement. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is right. You know, if you can put it this way, they were amening Jesus all the way in that confrontation. That's right, you know, saying what a lot of people felt. 
You don't care about the people. There was a lot of things Jesus said that caused problems. The disciples were really brave when they were with Jesus. Now they're hiding out, absolutely afraid for their own well-being. And you know what? Who can blame them? Because I would have been scared to death too. That is something that we're told about. And then we're, we're also given this other picture here. In the middle of their fearful place, with, while they're huddled together behind closed locked doors, look what happens. It says in that 19th verse that suddenly, um, that means without <laughs> any sense that Jesus had. I mean, Jesus didn't knock on the door and say, hey, guys, you know, let me in. I'm I'm alive which, you know, would have been incredible. But to have him just in the midst of this moment, you got to understand, try to envision the moment. Everybody is kind of filled with simultaneously thoughts of terror and genuine fear about what is their potential um, for being taken, imprisoned, and possibly even crucified as followers of Jesus the Nazarene. Um, or they were looking at each other and feeling ashamed because they had said they would be with him to the end, and none of them has stood. And so this simultaneous environment of fear and disappointment and shame, um, all, and then in the middle of all of this, just it says, suddenly Jesus appears. And the initial, their initial reaction is clear based upon the response of Jesus. Look what it is. They, it says that he suddenly, Jesus standing there among them, and and. In his post-resurrection state, he can, evidently it's different. And, and many people, theologians, uh, um, mystics, futurists even, have all pondered and interacted with, well, what was it like, what does the Bible say it was like for Jesus after the resurrection? And the idea is that he, is, he was doing different things after the resurrection than before. One of the things, he could appear to someone, they could be looking at him and not recognize him, and all of a sudden he, they would get it. There were other times where Jesus was, was just showed up, boom. Like the laws of normal time and space didn't apply. And he would just be there or he would be gone. And here you have Jesus just suddenly showing up, it says, and they were just incredulous. They were, they were just standing, as he's standing there, his first thing is to say to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Shalom. Be, be calm. Don't be, af- don't be terrified. It's, and then he says, it's me. And, then, and look what it says here. He spoke and he said, look, look, I want you to see this. He showed him his wounds in his hands, the, the nails that had, he had, had hammered through his hands. I want you to see this. I want you to see my, my side that had the spear thrust through it. And he says, look. He says, look. And, and then it says they were filled. Notice this. They were filled with joy. I love the way, I love this phrase. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. The old version says, then they were glad when they saw the Lord. There's a clue there. There's something there in that phrase alone. But his presence among them, again, must have terrified them. And he says, look at, look at me. I want you to see it. Could it be? It was incredible. It, it, it was, but it was, in their mind, undeniable. And by the way, it's the only explanation for what turns these group of men who are fearful and paranoid, shut, shut in behind locked doors, into the same men who are going to go out to the corners of the world and literally die for the testimony of their conviction that Jesus is the resurrected living Savior, the promised one of God who conquered even death. They gained nothing from the exchange. The only thing they gained was death. 
and they did it. They gained no power, no authority, no money, nothing. They gave their lives for the spreading of this good news solely on one agreement, that Jesus was who he said he was. That is a powerful truth, a historical reality that at least has to be acknowledged, even by those who would criticize um, the cause of Jesus. Now, we look at this and we go, wow, they, it says that they, they, he says to them, look, I want you to be at peace. And then he says, and so as their fear is receding, like, you know, receding, and their fear becomes overwhelmed with kind of joy, he then says again to them, notice, a second time, listen, peace be with you. But he, his peace is not the same peace as the first one. The first time he says it is because they're afraid. The second time he says it is because it, he wants them to be settled into a purpose, now hear that phrase. The first time was to keep to, to, to soften their fear. The second time is to settle them into a purpose. And I, th- I think that it is a picture also of what God wants to do in our life. He wants to quell the fear, and he wants to settle us into a purpose. Now look what it says. He says to them, my purpose is for you. Listen, peace be to you. I have something. As the Father has sent me, now look at me. As the Father has sent me, now I send you. And then he says, it says in a very unusual verse, it says, then he breathed on them. And uh, the idea is he, it's the picture we're given. And he says, receive the spirit. Receive the spirit. It, 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 for those who, who remember, it, it connects us all the way back to the very first movement in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when it says that God created Adam, Adam. And when he creates the first human being as we know it, that it says that he breathed life into him, the very breath, the pneuma, the spirit of God. And he became a living being, a living soul. And here Jesus says, receive the spirit. He breathes. And, and, then, and then notice what else he says. And then he, he says, now I give you a commission. I not only send you, but I'm also going to anoint you for an assignment. I'm investing my authority into you to fulfill If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. In other words, the message I will give you is going to give you the ability to set people free from their sins. It was the purpose for which I've come, that men might have life, that people might have life and have it overabundant. Remember, at his birth, it was said, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins, that God so loves this world. Remember Jesus said this, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but the world through him might be saved. I can never tire of saying that. It is the centrality of the good news. And, and then, notice, what was he getting at? What he was saying was this. Whatever else has happened, I need you to understand this. You cannot, I, I need you to get out from behind these walls. Don't be locked up with just each other. Get out. I send you out. Even as the Father has sent me, I send you. I want you to touch other people with this news. I want you to do this. Now, for you and me, there are things that I would like us to interact with in the, just in the minutes that we have left. And here's how, I'm, how I work through it. Because we've been talking about fear. We've been talking about having more courage and, and living a, a more courageous life and confronting the inevitable fears in life that we are, we are, we are forced to deal with. And, and I want to just put some... some principles on the board, and then have us think about them and hopefully ponder them uh, throughout this week and consider them in the larger narrative of what we've been sharing together over the past few weeks. But number one, fear has the ability, and I think it's pretty clear here, to keep us locked up and hiding. You see that? Fear has the ability to keep us locked up and hiding. 
And from, in my mind, it's, it's a lot of times, it's, if, you, if you see it in verse 19, it was because of fear that the disciples, right, were huddled up behind these locked doors and closed windows. And now, guys, how many, how many of us have, have sometimes been tempted to turn in on life because of fear? And I think it's a perfect picture, a metaphor. Do you see it? It's, it's not only something that was really happening, but it's a real picture of what happens to human beings, to people like you and me, when fear begins to, to, to just begin to dominate our life. It is a very normal tendency on our part when we're allowing fear to take root in us, to begin to turn inward and lock ourselves up, to begin to move into a place of sort of hiding. This happens a lot of times when relationships break down and we're afraid of being hurt again. We can very easily lock ourselves up in hide, as it were. It can happen when we're disappointed or we feel rejected or we feel, you know, we fear vulnerability or we fear being hurt again. And so a lot of times, one of the ways that we, do, we cope with that is by protecting ourselves. And one of the ways of protecting ourselves is to create sometimes a safety zone, which I get it, but a lot of times we say, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow myself to feel because that way I won't be hurt. So if I don't care, I'm not going to be hurt. And so I think a lot of what sometimes comes across as a cavalier, carefree kind of attitude uh, sometimes is actually a protection mechanism because we're afraid. I was, I've shared in the past few weeks that someone I was very close to, when they would really get afraid, they would fall into, into kind of a physical anger. It took me a long time to understand, why are you reacting this way? What is it that when you're afraid, this is what you become? There are other people, when we're afraid, we, we drop into, into very destructive and unhealthy habits. We, some of us go back into our scripting, stuff that we've done in the past, so we fall back into it because we're afraid, and so this is the safest place. Some of us settle for things that we shouldn't be settling for. Some of us run away when we need to deal with it courageously. Fear has a way of really dominating us. One of the things that it's hard to do, it's hard to be optimistic and hopeful when when we're just thinking about how, what's going to happen or how's this going to work out or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a problem here. Or, you know, I, these places, we come, it's like this. We come to places in life where we're like at a, at a road and we get to decide, am I going to allow my fear to dominate me right here because a lot of stuff can happen or am I going to choose to trust God with my situation and ask him to help me to negotiate this very complex and maybe even unfair situation in a way that, that I can actually grow. I've said this before. Obstacles are actually opportunities for growing. Um, and I try to remind myself, because not a one of us here are immune from being hurt. Sometimes the most difficult pain, I think, to bear, the fear that is the hardest to walk through sometimes is the fear, is the fear of, of being hurt or the fear that comes that others are, are rejecting us or, or that there's a relational meltdown or things that are happening. In other words, sometimes when we're disappointed with people, it's really, it could be really hard for us. And um, I keep reminding myself that Jesus knew what it was like to be forsaken. He understood that hurt, and yet he models for us a healthy path. So he wasn't like the Lord is saying, I've never been hurt. I've, he hurt a lot. But again, hear, hear me out, loved ones. This is what the Bible says, that God has not given us, look at this in Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. 
lot of times people try to find their answers in other people. A lot of times people try to fall back into habits to numb the feelings. But in reality, it's fear. But God has a better way. He has a healthy way. He has a life-giving way. He has a, a way that brings blessing. His ways are green ways. They're green paths. They're paths of life. Um, his ways will bring blessing down the line, not destruction, not, not damage, not more pain on top of pain, but it will bring life. His way is a way of life, and the person who chooses to walk with him will walk in the way of life. It is, it is the way of the Lord. And here's the thing. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, power to live well, power to, power to overcome even ourselves, power to overcome things of our past, power for living, God has given us what? Love, the ability to love, even when it's really hard to, when a part of us just wants to be resentful, angry, retaliate, out of our fear, out of our hurt, out of our anger, but we choose to let the love of God fill our lives. Not going to close down like that. Not going to shrink down to that. Not going to allow that thing to grip me and define me and let me become who, who, you know, this is not who I am meant to go out as one who has been sent. This is, this is, a, this is the Lord's will, and soundness of mind, the, the, the mind, how, many, the, how much stuff is, a, is because people are, are just feeling, the, is it the thoughts, the, it's, it's working through, the disappointment, it's, it's all that the, the, the Lord wants to heal us and give us strength, think well, creative, stay optimistic, stay light, alive. Um, and that leads to the second piece here, which is this, that, that in the fearful places, God longs for us, loved ones, to know his peace. He really does. I mean, think about it. Two times Jesus says what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Peace be to you. Peace be to you. Can you hear me? It's like he's saying it to you and me. Peace be to you. Let peace fill you now. But that fear is on me. Peace be to you. But what do you want us to do? Peace be to you. I have, some, I have a different path for you. Calm your heart. I have a path for you. Peace be. See, the peace of God, the path is understanding. And a lot of times, and then you know what also caught me here? Was that these guys probably didn't think a lot of themselves at this moment. They had failed Jesus quite miserably. I mean, again, in the room, I can imagine them in the room. And they're all in the room prior to Jesus appearing. And they're all pretty de defeated about this, this. Because the truth is that they had not just kind of blown it a little bit, they had blown it in a big way, right? They, I mean, they all had, it wasn't, it wasn't just Peter, the big talker, who had denied Jesus, although it must be admitted, and I'm sure they would have all been ready to point it out, that you, you did do worse than the rest of us, right? I mean, <laughs> you, yours, but the truth is, I don't think anybody was in that room throwing, hey, look at Peter. It's true, maybe they said he was the worst of us, but all of them knew they had each one turned on Jesus. I don't think there was a lot of stones being thrown. And Jesus comes into that situation, and they're, they're, they're pretty broken. They're pretty broken. And, and that leads me to this, this other piece here. This is the last thought for us, and, and that is this, that for this morning. He need not be afraid. Why? Because he is not afraid to use us despite our fears and contradictions and even our failures. I love this because, again, I go back to the garden 
and I'm reminded of how they were just so, they just, they just, when it really mattered to stand for Jesus, they didn't show up. He said, you can all, you're all going to abandon me. I, 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 I'm going to love you to the end. And they said, none one of us will. We'll die with you, Lord, Peter says. I'm willing to go. And in part of him, we, there was a part of him that meant everything he said, which is why when that moment came, he picked up the sword. He was willing to fight. But when the adrenaline fell back, that's when, and all the peer pressure started coming. He could fight, but he had a hard time taking the shame or the, the question or the pressure of what they're all going to think about me. And that's what ultimately pushed him over the edge. And he fell. When he falls, he falls miserably. But they all ran for it. Nobody was there. Only John kind of made his way back. There were some of the women that were there. They had stayed. They had held. John shows up. But for the most part, the disciples had just, you know, it was disappointing at best, shameful at worst. And that leads me to this, this thought here, and here in that we've just mentioned there, is that we, ought, we don't have to be afraid because he's not afraid of us. In other words, Jesus comes here, and what does he say to them? He, he says, look, he says, I want to use you. And it's almost like he's looking at them, and, and he says to them, look, all of you, every one of you who gave up on me, I have not given up on you. You gave up on me, but I have not given up on you. As the Father has sent me, now I send you. And I'm going to give you my spirit, and I'm going to give you my presence, and I want you to look at me, and I want you to know me for who I am, and I want you to take this good news, and I want you to carry it outside these walls. I want you to break out of your fear. I want you to live in who I am. It was like Jesus was just talking to them and, and saying, I don't care. I, I know you blew it. And I go, Lord, there are times where I feel like, you know, Lord, go find other people to represent you. But you know what? The Lord wants to use us. And, I'm, and I don't mean that like us, like we're the great one. I mean everyone here who's open to letting the Lord work in their lives genuinely and honestly, as authentically as we can. He wants to use us to be a blessing to other people and to be able to talk about him and to share his good news. And I always say, you know what? It's not like I've got it all together. I am, I am a, yes, I want to be a healer in his name, but I am at best always a wounded healer. And it's true. I want to be able to say, I don't have all the, but I, I, but I know one. I don't even have all the answers to every question, but I can tell you this. God has entered in to every real pain of our life. He gave everything. Even he felt forsaken, not just by other people, but by God himself, the Father. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He, he steps even there. It's the way of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. There are these moments where God's going to call us to places to just surrender our fear. Fear of where we've been, fear of where we are, fear of where we may be going. I, it, I don't know. But there's this um, really poetic, melancholy, but yet with an accent of grace on it kind of song. And it's called Surprised, appropriately. And I, I want us to just for a moment just kind of look at this, because this is what we're going to close with, you guys. It's in the handout. The, this song is about, okay, it's, it, let me tell you how it's, it is being sung to us from the perspective of Jesus talking to us. And one of the, the, from the very beginning movement in the song where it says, I'm walking up to your tomb to call your name. There's this, there's this sense of the Lord call, moving into the places that are dead and wanting to bring life to them. You see it? 
And then it's like the song is about uh, trusting him. I'm walking through the walls. There it is. It's almost like it's, it's talking to what we just looked at. I'm walking that third stanza. I'm walking through the walls of your hiding place. Just like the disciples were hiding out in their fear. To remove your fears and with courage in its place, it's time to be surprised. Basically what the Lord is saying is I'm with you. And then, and then look at the very end of the song. Ever-present help in time of trouble. This is one of those times. This is one of those times. And then here's the deal. Unclench your fist. Unclench your fist. Can't Listen, this can't receive anything with this. This is how you receive. Open. And that's why sometimes I just say, Lord, I'm open before you. I'm open. I'm, re- I, I'm open to receive. I'm letting it go. It's, it's a beautiful, it's an extension of who I am before you. And then the other phrase, unclench the fist. Uncross what? Unfold those arms. A lot of times, you know what this says? Uh, I'm closed. I'm closed. I'll check you out, you know. But you know what I mean, right? Or we watch somebody else and we just say, just sort of like you, you know. I'm I'm detached. I think the, in the parable of the prodigal son, there's that picture Rembrandt plays with this image. In the parable, of the, he, he does that painting of the return of the prodigal, and the father is weeping over the son who's come home, and he's a mess, and, and then the brother is just there aloof. Resentful. Why? Because he's afraid. He's afraid that his blessing is my loss. Closed. Fearful, angry. Open up, open up. This is the way of the Lord. This is the way of the Lord. This is the way of the Lord. All right, so we'll pray. We'll pray, and then we'll share the song. We'll have our time of giving, share the song. Lord, we want to, this is who we want to be, men and women, who are increasingly open to the freedom that you bring. The fears of life that seek to bind us, the questions of life that are all around us, that come our way at every season has this unique fearful place. That's okay. You walk with us. Then they were glad when they saw the Lord. Teach us to see you, to fix our eyes on you, to focus our gaze where it belongs. Teach us to live with open hands and unfolded arms, open to receiving your goodness and grace. And when we come into these, these places where we find ourselves in a funk and stuck, let it be only for a short while, Lord, and get us out of that. Set us free in you. We were born to be vibrant and alive, not scared, fearful, and angry and afraid. Teach us your ways, O oh God. Help us surprise us with your grace. Fill us with your joy. Then they were glad when they saw the Lord. Bless our time of giving. Bless this clothing song. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.